Today, we're going to be talking with Farmer Nate of Sierra Living Organics and Mountain Cultured. We're going to be talking about small farms, cannabis genetics, and 2022. Let's jump right in and thank you for stopping by. You want to get started, maybe talk about the farm a little bit and what you do? My name's Nate Schneider. I'm a seventh generation natural farmer. And um, I've been cultivating cannabis for over 30 years. And throughout that time, um, have done everything from all natural, organic um, to synthetic hydroponics, mm -hmm. almost every type of method. And um, over the last 15 years or so, I've come back to organics and full organics and now really just doing, um, focusing on regener regenerative uh, methods, including JADAM and KNF. And um, we do some permanent agriculture style um, gardening here as well. And, you know, that's kind of been my focus. And now about six years ago or so, we've been completely closed loop on what we do, uh, meaning mm -hmm. that we grow all of our own inputs and use all the inputs from our farm to feed everything on our farm and not bring or buy anything to bring in. So, so we take pride in that and um, try to grow a diverse group of um, inputs as well as, um, you know, medicinal herbs and vegetables for, for our own human health as well. So. Mm -hmm. And where's your farm at? We are located in the, Central Sierra Nevadas on the southwest facing slope. So we're about 3,000 feet in the Sierra Nevadas in, and in northern, what do you, northern California. <laughs> and what do you typically grow in a season? What's it like? Uh, well, our cannabis, um, our, we have a unique terroir up here. So we have, over the last few years, started focusing more on um, longer flowering sativa um like equatorial genetics um just to you know where we can go far into november and see some of these expressions that are hard to see in other um, parts of the country even in northern california closer to the coast um it's hard to grow some of these 10 12 14 16 week flowering um lines so we have started working on some of them we have uh some malawi and some burmese and um the original haze from Todd McCormick. And we have a lot of, uh, you know, narrow leaf equatorial genetics that we're working on. And I think that's what is unique to what we, our terroir and what we can do out here. Um, and we also, you know, we just have a unique expression up here. I think, you know, we're, we're in the mother load and, and, you know, there's, this is a place, first place the gold rush started in California and, mm -hmm. uh, Ever since I've been here, I just feel like there's something magical in the soil and, you know, the plants do magical things out here, um, express totally different than other places that I've seen. I know, uh, we are working with, a Cali, California orange and old Cali O, uh, genetic that's been worked up here for, um, at least 12 years. And we started working with that ourselves. And, and I know that there's a lot of history up in these hills with, uh, California orange. So. So I'm trying to bring some of that back and working on some of that within our lines. Um, mm -hmm. With those equatorials, in addition to like biological reasons, were you attracted to them at all for any reason? 
Yeah, I've always been, that's always been my forte personally. I've always really got into hazes and, and back in the early and mid nineties, I was, well, early nineties, I was always growing Northern for, for production, but I really, um, got into some of the, um, back then it was some of the pineapple tie and, and, um, so my other favorite was, uh, the old, uh, mango haze and some of them older hazes. And they just really weren't and still aren't um, big, big in production and in the marketplace. So um, I've always still played with them. Uh, I think over the years, I always have a few breeding plants that I mess with. And usually it's some preservation project of some kind of old. Uh, like I said, I just was working on old Burmese and um, some Malawi a few years ago. And um, this year we're doing these hazes and and. Uh, getting into some other equatorial genetics as well so it's just something that i've always felt needs to be shared and needs to be more in our industry i think um a lot of growers and people that are close with cannabis um really enjoy that type of profile and and feeling of well-being as well it's just it's not that marketable you know the um, unfortunately i think our market is immature and um mm -hmm you know, they all want stuff that looks a certain way and, and tastes a certain way and hits all these, these points. And, you know, some of these open airy flowers, um, unfortunately towards the middle and late nineties started to become not as marketable and, and um, desirable. So, so I think that's you know, something I want to bring back. I think, um, it's something that, um, is recognized in some areas of the country. I know in the Bay area and, in in I know out in New York and there's you know, some areas where they're really starting to come back and people are realizing that it's nice to have some, something that is creative and helps you feel good and doesn't just knock you out at night. So, mm -hmm. A lot of those things are a little more cerebral, I think too. And like you said, places in the city and maybe slightly professional people who are stuck in the office all day, maybe gravitate to those things a little more. Yeah, I know for sure Silicon Valley for years running has always um, preferred, you know, and you can see it in the data of what they purchase in the stores over there. But um, it's one of the areas in the country that really prefers the uh, more of a cerebral daytime creative uplifting experience. Mm -hmm. But it's not so in a lot of the rest of the marketplaces and and unfortunately, we're a lot of the markets driven by um, by distributors and, and purchasers, you know, like all industries. So so it's just, you know, I think that's something that we can work on as education to the client, you know, to the consumers and and that there's other genetics out there. There's other um, very interesting and and. Um, happy things to to experience you know that aren't really in the marketplace right now so so that's kind of why mm -hmm. i decided over the last few years especially to really start working on them um we are for the first time you know i've been trading and creating genetics and and sharing our genetics since the early 90s and and we've just recently decided about two years ago to, that we're gonna start releasing our genetics into the public and so that's something that, that we're going to be working on is preserving some of them equatorial genetics. So 
um, we can offer them in pure form as peers. We mm -hmm. have them anyways to, to be able to share. And uh, so we'll be doing seed expansion projects on some old Burmese, some of the old Malawi. Um, we have some uh, wild Afghan um, that's actually from some villages that are um, were taken over by the Taliban now and a lot of the cannabis plants in them. Um, areas and regions have been cut down and mm -hmm. uh, I know I've heard some of them they're going to be growing corn or some other uh, something they haven't grown in you know many many generations so it's pretty pretty sad to see so some of that stuff I think you know really needs to be preserved and and offered and I think that that's super important for for upcoming in these next you know five to ten years especially as we move through uh, more hybridization and and profit to take, you know, proposition of cannabis. So I was just saying that, that that's going to be our main focus is working on preservation. And we do have, uh, you know, some hybrid lines that we're working also. And that's um, that California orange I was talking about. We have that crossed with uh, ATF and we've used that mail to do some interesting hybrids. And we have some F1s and F2s of them that will be released soon. And then also our AM Lime fourth place Emerald Cup winner from 2022 uh, that we have stabilized and will be have F3 seeds of them available for spring along with uh, seed starts. And we did also cho choose a choice male out of our F2 um, uh, progeny of the AM Lime, and we use that as our mail on our property this in 2022. So we have some old Willy Wonder, some old Northern, and a whole bunch of really interesting um, um, plants that we um, that received the AM Lime pollen really well this year. So we're excited to share them crosses as well. What was your favorite cross? Oh man, I I don't know. One of the progeny out of the AM Lime um, ATF mail. Uh, it was just, just amazing. I mean, it came out almost like a dark burgundy color. Um, it has some of the orange, cherry, and a lot of the pine coming through. So it's just a, this extremely unique um, plant. And we have done some uh, breeding with that one as well now. So so I'm pretty excited about that. We actually hit, um, we're moving that one into an F2 right now. So we hit that with a, with our lime mail. So that, that one I'm pretty excited about. Um, the cherry pie ATF cross is also very, very nice. It's, it brings a lot of cherry, almost like a cherry menthol um and just covered in resin so we have a lot of testers that have been um, working in through all of um our regenerative methods and they are also running right now in indoor and they're just producing extremely well i think i just saw a picture of uh, week uh, 28 and they're completely coated in resin and um leaps and bounds above the plants that are around them they're, you know the i think they're running up runs and some some other cross, you know, for their production. Mm -hmm. They're really excited. They just basically um, bought a pack of seeds and then uh, found four choice females that they cloned and are, are running out. Um, they've already ran the moms out and now they're running out the, the clones. They're actually doing, a, I think, a table of each just as testers to see how they do. And then they're going to pick one. But yeah, pretty interesting stuff coming out of that line as well. So 
Um, other than that, you know, this I like I said, I get excited about the old stuff. So I have some northern number two that I got from Todd McCormick that I grew out this year. That's extremely amazing. I mean, the uh, structure and and um, resin on them plants are it's just amazing. This comes through um, completely coated. I mean, um, outside. Mm -hmm regenerative methods they came out looking like indoor um actually i met up with todd and and brought my flower and his flower and um it looked very similar so i was really impressed uh i always wonder that you know when you grow something is it you know are you seeing what the breeder meant for you to see you know mm -hmm. and which pheno you know was the one you know in, in their eyes so it was cool to actually hook up and I brought the pheno that I really liked and he had some of his uh, northern tube that he grew indoor and it was, you know, cool to see it side by side. He smoked mine and I smoked his and it was, it was, um, I nailed it. You know, the pheno I brought was the pheno he had as well, smelled the same, looked the same. Uh, nice. So it was, it was really cool to, to do that. And then I have another, just one that I received, it was called Northern um, mm -hmm. and it's, I don't know if it was a Northern one or just a straight Northern lights. It came from, um, Dave Pope from Alaska and I ran some of them out this year and totally amazing expressions on them plants as well. Um, brought me, them really brought me back a lot of really sweet pine, um, mm -hmm. brought me back to the early nineties. Like I said, I used to run a cut of Northern, uh, from probably 91 to 94 and it was, uh, it was very special is that classic pine tree smell taste and look um and it was definitely special in my um circle and it was something that i was known for and then kind of lost track of northern over the course of the 90s and um and probably about five or six years ago I realized that i didn't have really any pine or pine in my life at all and then remembered started thinking about the old northern and that's when I reached out to some of these guys and started trying to find, you know, maybe, maybe what I had, even though what I had was just called Northern, it was given to me as a, as a cut. Mm -hmm. um, we kept it for at least four or five years, you know, and, and ran it as for production. So, so that, that really brought me back to this, this old, uh, Northern one or the Northern lights that I ran, um, besides the, the Northern two from Todd, the one from Todd really had a lot of, uh, funk, some gas and even some sweet berry in it. So, um, like he's talked about that Northern two never really got released and, um, mm. it wasn't one that got given to Neville or any of that stuff from my understanding. So, so it's a pretty unique one and, and really, um, I think, you know, had a lot of, it was really bracked out. Um, I think it really has a lot of basis of maybe some of the um, OGs and and possibly even some some sours came from some of them lines. But but yeah, it was uh, definitely brought back some flavors uh, that I haven't had in a long time in them in both of the northerns this year. And yeah, so that was probably the most exciting. I did grow some Cali Mist uh, this year. I got from some old 80s freezer beans and them mm -hmm. were very exciting too it was a really haze the phenos i had were haze dominant and um i harvested most of them actually two phenols were done later november and um and then i harvest the other one right at the beginning of december 
And I have another one that I just harvested a few weeks ago and I'm doing that one uh, fresh frozen. And we're going to, you know, try to do some wash on it and see how it washes out. So we're pretty excited about some of these old genetics and we're getting the opportunity to work with them and not sure they're marketable, but, um, that's kind of, like I said, a couple of years ago, we decided to shift more into just our genetics. So, so that opens us up not to focus so much on flower production and we can really run some of these things that we're interested in sharing genetics to the rest of the world. Absolutely. And apart from like commercially viable, if you didn't have to worry about that in the magical Christmas land, what would you want to be growing right now? Or what are you interested in? Well, yeah, that's the, uh, that's kind of, when we decided, you know, to start this seed line, we realized like, I think, you know, it's real important that, that we try to release things that are interesting, that have some preservation, you know, in them and maybe like a purebred preservation line crossed to, to a more of a hybrid. And the reason being is because I think it's, it's important to share them genetics without a whole lot of human interaction, right? We've, you know, we've manipulated these genetics so much to this point that I almost feel like, you know, when I work something into a, an F4 and F5 or an F6 or seven or, or start back crossing it and really selecting it heavily, my concern is, is that, you know, I, I've personally now selected that the genetics out for my myself my own terroir my own property my own situation and acclimate to me and i feel like that as that is great for me if if that's my path and i'm i'm trying to find mm -hmm. the perfect pheno you know for me to run for production or for me to have on my property but as is me wanting to release these seeds into the public, I feel like the more selection I do on them, the more I might be selecting out the genetic um, possibilities and 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 phenos that that maybe someone else around the world would want, right? And, mm -hmm. and that's what's held me up all through the '90s. Of you know, uh, like I said, I've I've bred a lot of plants and I've I've worked a lot of genetics in you know back cross stuff i've worked them into f8s i've done a lot of a lot of breeding work with a lot of plants but i've never called myself a breeder or um went down that path as to mm -hmm. put the genetics out because i felt like well you know i haven't done this work with this this particular one and i've been chasing unicorns since the early 90s and and i haven't found that amazing plant that i think is perfect on all sides and all angles right i found amazing work and, and amazing lines and stuff that i want to work with and the stuff that's you know i know is market market uh viable in you know all that stuff but i just feel like that you know, if I work all that stuff into into my choices, I'm limiting the choices that you might have. If I just did F1 hybrids or even an released F2s, which you know really opens up the genetics for someone who's trying to find that certain pheno for their own property or for their own self. And that's when I realized, mm -hmm. like, that's more of my lane, right? I'm I don't I don't think my lane trying to um, allow cannabis to express. Uh, what it has to offer to the human race. I, I think um, if I stay in my lane, I can try to manipulate them genetics the least amount as possible, right? I don't think my lane is to um, work 
these genetics into something so stable that I can offer somebody a hundred or a thousand seeds, you know, that they can plant production style and, and, and have 99 or 90% of them all come out the same phenol. I think I would be mm-hmm. doing a just justice for, um, for what I think I have to offer and from what I think my relationship with this plant is. So, so that's kind of what I decided a couple of years ago. And that's why I decided to start releasing a lot of this work is because I feel like that I mean, you know, finding these certain lines that I feel like whether it's the terp combination, um, the, the way the terps express themselves or the plant itself expresses themselves in, in the feeling and relationship with, um, um, nature and, you know, the humans around it. Um, I feel like that that's what I have to offer is kind of that in the pure form. So that when you get, you know, a pack of, of these seeds, you can expect to have multiple different variations of that, them genetics in there. So you can choose what, um, expression works the best for you and your situation and on your property. Uh, and then, you know, if you're looking for that for production, then you can find that perfect phenotype that you think that will be a good expression of your brand or your, your farm and will help you succeed in, in, you know, the, uh, as a production, you know, product, um, into the marketplace. But I just don't, like I said, I think if I select these things out and come up with these and stabilize all of my lines that I'll be doing everyone, you know, especially around the globe, a disjustice justice because, you know, the phenol that I selected out and maybe you'll never see if I take it to a back cross or, or an inbred line or an, or an F, f8 or something like that you know i'm you might not see them phenos that you would have chosen right so i just feel Mm -hmm. like that i i the more and the older i get the more i feel like that my place with this plant is to get out of the way and let the plant do its thing and that's what i try to do in cultivation too and i recommend everybody um to do that when you're having a, a relationship with this plant whether you're doing production or you're just growing for your own uh medicinal use or recreational uses to let the plant express its own self and get out of the way because these plants are amazing. They have a relationship with the earth and the stars and the cosmos. Um, and, and really us humans um, can help that in a certain times and we can really hinder it most of the time. Um, so I, one thing I've learned in someone in the nineties, an old guy used to tell me is Nate, just get out of the way. And the plant will be much happier. And I never really knew what he meant. And the older I get, the more I realize it. And now the more I get out of my plant's way, the more they show me what they can actually do. And it's really amazing to see. Mm-hmm. How do you feel like the Sierra's like impacts what you see? You know, we're talking about like what you see comes out of the plant naturally. Do you feel like you see certain things in your plants, taking them year over year on your property? Yes, for sure. Yeah. And that's one thing I talk about a lot is terroir. And terroir is not just, you know, where you're growing this thing. It's it's the relationship that you have with the plant. It's the relationship the microbes have with the plant and the soil. And it's the um, angle and, and direction of the sun. Um, so it really has everything to do with that plant and its relationship with everything around it, including the, you know, um, the moon cycles and, and the gravitational pull. And here we're at 3000 feet elevation. Um, like I said, we're in the mother load. So there's gold in our soil. We're just mm-hmm. down the hill, um, driving. It's about 15 miles, but you know, probably as the crow flies, it's even closer. Um, 
Uh, I think the north grove of the giant sequoia trees is at about 4,000 feet. So just about 15, maybe about 1,500 feet up from us. So probably about 40, 4,600 or maybe 4,400 feet um, right up above us on this mountain. So there's magical stuff that goes on in the soil and in the atmosphere. And we're just out of the mist from the, from the ocean. We're about 130 miles from the coast here. So we're just out of the mist, um, but we still get some of that. Um, well, right now we're getting uh, what they call an atmospheric river that picks up water from the Pacific Ocean and, and dumps it over top of us. You know, so there's definitely some magical stuff that happens out here. Um, some of the genetics I've grown here that I've grown indoor, I've grown them out east and I've grown them by the coast of California and in Southern Oregon. And I see some of them same genetics right now from friends of mine growing in all them same areas. And out here, they, they express totally different. The gelato that I grow out here doesn't look or smell or taste like the same cut that's grown in multiple different places. Um, mm -hmm. How is it different? Um, out here, I think it's probably because, you know, we have huge temperature swings. So we get the valley heat in the mountain cool. So we'll have 100 degree days and 50 degree nights all summer long. Um, and I think that that expresses, um, you know, and we have a lot of UV up here too, because we're at 3000 feet. So I think all that forces different, um, terpene expressions and heavy waxes. So I have noticed that a lot of our cultivars, um, when I compare them to maybe growing closer to the coast or especially indoor, they're very heavy waxed. And, um, uh, a lot of the terpenes we, I, out here, we get a lot of, um, I think the, the pinene comes out, the, we, the beta carotheline pops out here. There's just something about this area. And I've, I've, I've seen this from other farms around here. The, the same thing is, um, and I can't confirm it through testing, but, um, it seems like mm -hmm. some of the beans just really thrive in these conditions. And I don't know if it's because of plants really push them because of the harsher, you know, temperature swings, um, or what it is, but it's definitely unique. And, and we've have tried to, um, engage with that as much as possible on our own property. And that's kind of why we're working with this old Calio, um, because it's been up in these hills for 12 years that we know of um, this particular plant and then um, some other stuff we're trying to get um, bring back some of the older genetics that were naturally growing up here before we started working just for production so that's kind of my goal and I've started working on a, a Appalachian project and mm -hmm. we have, this county has applied for its Appalachian origin and so we're just trying to start to lock down what what cultivars you know um, that we can represent well up here and what are we known for in these areas so that's a problem in a lot of even legacy areas you know a lot of this stuff's been lost through market driven reasons you know market and it kind of drives what we grow unfortunately when we're you know trying to feed our families and 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 survive in a lot of these hills all over northern california and you know through these um last few years especially the market really has manipulated what's normally growing on these properties and and that's a problem because if we don't start recognizing what we had and make sure that we can still have that and get it back and and grow what grows best here instead of what the market wants us to try to grow here um you know then it might be lost forever right and that's kind of the concern of why 
I wanted to start sharing and doing some open um, pollination projects on some of these preservation lines is because, you know, as we move into more commercialization and profitization of this plant and federalization, it's we are going to come in to start limiting genetics. And that's a huge concern of, of mine and I think the rest of the legacy community as well. So whatever I can do my little part, and that's why, you know, I say preservation line, I might have stuff in my preservation line that's not a preservation um, in someone's eyes. But to me, it's, it you know, it's something that I feel like needs to be captured, you know, for ourselves on our farm. And then um, a lot of that stuff I'm going to be happily sharing with the community. And what's that process been like a little bit of applying for the appellation and starting that process? Right now I'm new into it. So there was, I think 11 counties in California that applied for Appalachian of origin for cannabis um, prior to 2018. And um, I just joined the Appalachians project and I'm working on that and we're actually starting nationwide. So we're gonna try to start collecting data on what genetics are produced in what areas and what data points do them genetics hit so that we can start, you know, um, down the path of registering terroir for cannabis. Um, it's typically a 40 year process. Like if you're in a registered terroir for wine or a certain vineyard or grapes or a certain um, cut of grapes, um, because you have to grow it out. You have to have proof of differences of it growing in certain areas and why maybe this spot is different and you can claim that it's different than the other side of the hill or the other side of the state or another state um, is through testing of, of everything. It's, you know, the, the flavonoids and, you know, in, in cannabis is obviously going to be all of our, our terpene profiles and kind of the, um, the, the chemo, chemo type of that cultivar and along with physical traits um so it's it's i think we've started this thing and we kind of been talking it's a you know 40 year process to get this terroir registered for for genetics and i think you know through dna of plants through these uh, advanced um chemo you know being able to actually lock in the chemo type of the plant you know through coas and you know these other advanced testing I, it might happen faster, but that's really the path we're on is, is start registering who grows what, where it grows the best, and why does it grow the best there? Because um, then we can actually, like I said, start growing stuff where it actually grows good, you know, because we'll find out east, there's some genetics that'll grow wonderful out east, you know, and be harvested by the end of September and and have good production and hit a lot of numbers. And, and I think, you know, like Mel Frank showed pictures of the area I'm in and in central Sierra Nevada's used to grow California orange and some of these, you know, genetics that you couldn't grow anywhere else because, you know, they're growing, hazes were growing in Santa Cruz, down in Santa Cruz mountains and up through some of these mountains here because we could grow mm -hmm. all the way into November, or early December to let stuff finish with maybe just one rainfall and hardly any frost, um, you know, and you can't do that in a lot of places in the United States. So I think that that's what this is going to come back to is, you know, hopefully other than indoor, we can start locking in some areas that, you know, Hey, if you're up in the mountains, this is what you grow good. And this is what this area is known for. Um, and I think that'll hold a lot of value moving into an international marketplace for cannabis. So I'm hearing a lot of like climate, a lot of like biological factors is any part of like the Appalachian harvesting at all or processing or. Yeah, for sure. Oh Yeah. Yeah, when um, we first came up to these hills, you know, it's hot and dry up here. 
um, it was um, a total different learning curve to harvest plants in this environment um, than anywhere I've been prior because my prior experiences in Northern California is closer to the coast and in Southern Oregon and out, out East and Western Wisconsin. So very humid, um, more humid spots. Um, so that was my first thing when I came out here that I had to acclimate to was how dry it is. You know, we run 30% humidity most of the year out here, if even. Mm -hmm. So I had to start, you know, adding uh, moisture to my dry rooms and, um, and, and them type of processes. So yeah, there is manipulation, you know, needed, I think for every, um, you know, um, climate when it comes to harvest and post-harvest, but, um, the one thing that I was super excited about coming in into here once I realized after my first grow season was that I could grow into November. I think, you know, we actually were pulling off uh, rounds throughout the winter in our high tunnel. Um, mm -hmm. It's basically a, you know, a, a covered greenhouse. It just has a tarp on the, on the top open sides and wall and, and walls and everything. So, um, so that was really unique and, and, you know, would have been a nightmare to do closer to the coast or even in Southern Oregon and definitely not even possible out, out East, you know? <laughs> so, so, uh, but then we realized after the first year of, of running a winter, a full winter round that it wasn't worth the hassle. So now we do three rounds. We do an early spring round. So we plant our uh, pre-vegged plants in, um, in March and they, we harvest in May and then we do a full term round from May to um, October, whenever the plants are done. And then we do a fall round and we replant in some of the beds in, um, in October and then harvest in December. And then obviously our equatorial um, lines that we're running usually get planted in are popped in February outside in the greenhouse. And then they're allowed to go you know, all the way until December for whatever they need. So what was your favorite thing for 2022 that you grew or that you tried either one or both? Oh man, 2022. Well, one of the first things that pops into my head is we had, we did some uh, roadkill skunk seeds that were given to me and it was just a, a roadkill skunk that I, that they hit on a headband female. So it was some roadkill pollen that was pollinated onto a headband female. And we grew some of them out and um, it was totally amazing. There was one pheno that came out that was high in terpenaline. And it was the first time that I've ever um, processed or, or worked with anything that was called a skunk that had terpenaline in it. And it almost... Uh, made me wonder if all these years of hunting skunks, if I'm heading in the wrong direction, because, um, when that terpenaline, the stickiness of it and the bright, um, um, turpentine smell of it with the, with the sour and the gassy background, man, I almost thought that my mountain dog came in right when we were processing that stuff. And I thought he got sprayed by a skunk and I went over to check him and then realized that we just broke that tub open and started working with it. And it's the first time I've done that since the nineties, I think. So, and I've been hunting mm -hmm. skunks a lot. So that's probably my, um, one of the ones, the phenos that we had out of the garden this year or that I've smoked in a lot of years that really just brought me back to something not sure you know if i'm going to say that i found the skunk or a skunk but it was definitely one of the most interesting um 
uh, phenos that I've worked with that came out of a seed called something skunk <laughs> since the nineties. And, um, that's another thing, you know, we haven't even talked about, but we have a big skunk hunt we're going to be doing. And we have about 14 different bags of seeds that are called something skunk. And we're going to be going through them sometime. I don't know if we're going to get to it in 23, um, but we have to do a seed expansion on a few of them. And then we're going to try to run out 50 or hundred of each of these things and to see what, see what's in them. So that that's going to be pretty exciting. But um, other than the roadkill skunk, um, our AM lime this year was totally amazing. Like I said, we found that purple pheno that had the um, the orange, the cherry, and the lime all coming through it. Um, that was just an amazing pheno. And like I said, we're working that one right now. Um, you know, we don't do cloning on our property. We actually only have two LED strip lights that we use sometimes for starts. Um, I, sometimes I'll take clones later in the year when I think, you know, I found a pheno that I really want to extend. Um, but if it doesn't root, you know, out in the greenhouse and kind of under the sun and the natural environment or something happens to it, then we don't end up with them clones. And so really our way to, you know, continue genetics on our property is by hitting them with a, with a male and crossing them to something or, um, hitting them back, you know, to their own male so that we can, um, carry that line on for the next round or the next season. So, so yeah, so them two were really special. Um, we did a passion orange guava this year, which is a pheno out of the tropical sleigh ride. Um, that really is like um, a bouquet of tropical smoothie in your in your you know aroma and in your mouth. So it's it's truly a unique plant um, that came from Green Shock. The original genetics did, and we've worked them on this property for about four years now, and we're super excited every year to harvest some plants and to see what they do. And, and no shortage of that this year. Um, I know everyone we've shared it with too has been really excited about the we call it the pog, the passion orange guava. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that's a that's a few. Of them. Um, out in the universe, the other amazing thing that I ran into was the, was the loopy fruits. Oh, and, good. Yeah. And I just haven't seen that in a long time. And I think I told you a story that, you know, I was sitting on the beach with my, with one of my buddies in Hawaii and he's lived, lives in Hawaii now for 15 years. And, and all of a sudden out of nowhere, he's, you know, asked me if, if I've ever heard of loopy fruits and if I, you know, ever could get him any and know of any, and then, you know. And then, um, you know, a few months later or even weeks later, I think I, I ran into loopy fruits and, and it was just, a mm-hmm. brought me back to, um, you know, some, some good old days and, and good, you know, legacy genetics. So, so that was very exciting too, but I think that was probably the most exciting thing off from my, off from our farm, but I don't get out much, you know, I'm pretty secluded. We, um, I think, you know, just a couple years ago, I started coming off the farm and talking and, and doing some education and, um, teaching regenerative methods and some Jadam, um, techniques and, and really about regenerative cannabis and, and how to, you know, be self-sustainable with cannabis and, you know, bring cost of production down and, and have production go up and actually hit better numbers, you know, with spending less and, and, in doing that, it's, you know, been the first time ever, um, you know, being legacy in this doing it since before night you know i think i did my first round of production in 88 uh, it was the first time i intentionally grew cannabis for for production and 
so, you know, doing it a long time and I've just always dreamt of just growing cannabis and not talk, really talking to anybody kind of like we've always done, just close the gate and, and, um, you know, have a product at the end of the year that helps sustain us through the rest of the year. And, and, um, and since legalization here in California, um, that's been less and less of a reality. And I've realized that I know I, my place is to come out, teach more, share genetics and help other folks on their path and journey with this plant. Um, and so, so that's kind of why I'm here and, and why I've started talking and coming out more off the farm and teaching more off the farm instead of just locking the gate and, you know, doing our thing. <laughs> so. Sunshine will be thrilled. You said that I'm glad that was a highlight for you and we got to share some at the cup. What was your favorite non-cannabis project you did this year on the farm? Um, well, it's still ongoing. We, since we've been here, we've kind of, we bought this property to get licensed. And, um, the, unfortunately, since, um, we have not been able to get licensed due to the, what the County has been um, going through. And so we've kind of, you know, when we, we came, we had ideas of, of production cannabis and, and like I said, since we're, we're, have not been able to get licensed, we're still legacy. So we've kind of, um, stayed doing what we normally have done. So we didn't put in a big operation, you know, we still grow in just a couple thousand square feet. Um, and we, you know, have a couple different plots so that we're not all, all out and out and exposed. And so with that being said, you know, we, we've kind of lost focus on building up all of the rest of our medical garden and, and, you know, we have our, some of our medicinal herbs and our rosemary and some stuff that we have sustained pretty well on this property. And we still, you know, are planting our stinging nettle and our comfrey and doing the things that we need to do to be sustainable with our, our um, inputs and, you know, able to build um, good balanced compost and, you know, we're growing our worms, but we really haven't focused on keeping the water on our property. And we're, like I said, 3000 feet in the foothills of the Sierra Nevada. So everything's at a slope on our property and we don't get much rain. And like right now we're getting huge rain events that just keep dumping rain. And we haven't had that since about 2016 and 2017. And even then when that happened, I noticed that all this rain comes and it just runs right down off from our garden area, we do have two terraces. One is where our, our high tunnel is. So that stops a whole bunch of water and conserves water and really helps feed our plants through most of the season. And then there's another terrace below that that captures a whole bunch of other water. But once them two terraces are done on that side of the property, everything else runs off into um, a ravine and down into um, a series of creeks that go down the lower part of our property. And then of course, off and into the reservoir, which is, which is great. And, and, but our intent is to try to keep more of the water, you know, here in our soil so that we can sustain further through the year, even in our flower beds and in our vegetable beds so we're employing hugel culture and i haven't really seen um, this type of technique that i'm gonna try to do i've seen standard hugels but basically we're gonna do a terrace down a slope because we have a um, this area that we want to garden in right now is sloped on both sides so it slopes um, to the east and it slopes to the south and so we're kind of thinking about doing like um uh, kind of a horseshoe um, terrace 
with a Hugo culture bed in it, you know, so we're kind of going to dig a, and we're going to do the trench style so that it'll actually capture water. And then we're going to make sure that them trenches when they overflow. So when they get full of water that they can dump Mm -hmm. down to the next one. And we're going to do a series of three. And the idea is is instead of all that water running off, missing the two terraces we already have, because this is what it does is it runs straight south and then it hits another, um, um, low part in in our property and then runs down the ravine I was talking about before and kind of misses the two existing terraces and 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 then then that part of the yard and then beds as we've been trying to grow in them are really dry and we have to you know really water all the time um so so that's kind of the goal this year is we're gonna do some hugo culture beds and and some of these um um rolling terrace um um, beds so that they kind of and are angled so that the water will drain from one into the next one and then from that one into the one on the bottom so just trying to retain water so something we haven't really focused on or thought about since we've been here because we've been so focused on you know trying to figure out what we're doing we had big ideas of of licensing a, a 5,000 square foot um, legal cultivation and then since that you know wasn't a reality um We've just been kind of spinning our wheels, figuring out what direction we want to do. And that's kind of what brought us to genetics as well Is it's something that we can do right now that we can send international. And it's a way for us to share um, in our love and stuff for this plant um, and be able to touch thousands of people. And that's something else I realized with genetics is, you know, I can touch thousands of people with my genetics. And when I produce flour, as much as I love to share it and, and give it out and, and, and have it be part of the community, it only touches a couple hundred people, you know, or a few hundred people. So I realized, you know, with seeds, I can touch thousands of people, they can grow them seeds, then they can touch their hundreds of people. And that love of this plant can, you know, spread forever. So so that's mm-hmm. that's kind of what we have going and what I'm excited about. And if people are looking to maybe try a product by you or to try and find your seeds or just to hear more about you, where can they go to or like follow you or? Yeah, we're on Instagram at Sierra Living Organics and um, that's on Instagram. And our website is just getting started. We uh, basically will just have some merch on there and then our first few seed releases will be coming in the next few weeks and um, we'll have more throughout this year as we um, kind of work. We're working on labeling and kind of just the whole launch in general is a lot for us. Uh, We didn't really talk about that, but um, you know, it's just my wife and I. You want to talk about it a little bit? Yeah, we just don't have a team. You know, I have sometimes people say, oh, you know, go, you know, go team and, you know, stuff like that. It says we are a team. It's just but it's just my wife and I, you know, so so we we always, you know, try to stay sustainable as good regenerative farmers should. You know, I don't ever want to grow more than than her and I can take care of. Um, you know, we don't, we don't want to have so many seeds and so many crosses and so many lines that we can't keep up with, you know, so we're always just sharing what we, what we have that year on the farm. A lot of our stuff's exclusive, you know, I might release it and work with it one year and never touch it again, you know? So, um, you know, so that's kind of a little bit about, about that is, you know, we're just, just a small small little farmers. Um, we are trying to get licensed. And even when we do that, it's going to be the same thing. We're going to try to stay small and, and, um, 
you know, and sustainable for what we can do. We do have five kids, um, but, you know, as they get older and, and want to help, I still want it to be something that we can sustain as a family. And, you know, that, you know, I don't aspire to hire a bunch of help all the time to try to, to, um, grow this plant. You know, I mean, our relationship with this plant is, um, is regenerative and sustainable. And um, that's our goal is to keep it like that. So, so with that being said, um, the website is mountaincultured.com. Mountain cultured Mm -hmm. is our, our, um, lifestyle brand. And um, we will have all of our worms eventually or some of our ferments that I think, you know, that we share here in our community um, to grow plants with and for your own human health um, will be available on there um, as we, you know, continue to add products. Uh, I am a study in mycologist, so I've been working with and growing mushrooms since the 90s. So we will have some liquid cultures. Um, we didn't really talk about that, but I'm we over the last few years have started using a lot of mushrooms as companion plants for our companion planting for our cannabis. Um, cannabis loves uh, fungal dominance and we've had a really good response um, doing inoculations of um, kingster ferrets, you know, like even oysters. Uh, we use blights and uh, LBMs, little brown mushrooms in our um, compost piles that we um you know, inoculate beef or carbon sources before we use them in our compost. So we've mm-hmm. done a lot of experiments with um, mycelium and, and fruit fruit body mushrooms um, in and with and around our cannabis. And um, so we'll have some of them products on there as well to, to help people that are trying to go down that same path. And as far as education, um, we, other than podcasts and panels, um, I'll have you can always reach me on Instagram. Otherwise on the website, um, I do do production consulting and soil consulting as law, as well as, um, uh, dowsing work. I am a dowsing apprentice and I currently, um, you know, can douse and help you locate water. My forte is, um, where in relationship to the stars, earth, the moon and the cosmos should you grow cannabis on your property that's kind of my forte is communication with uh, the mycelium the energy ley lines and um to help you locate your your house your dwelling your sleeping arrangements your plants um greenhouses um you know all that stuff on your property so um, that's another you know whole nother uh episode so. <laughs> but all that information will be on the website and you can reach out anytime Nate, thank you so much for coming on and talking today. I really appreciate it. You too, brother. I appreciate you having me on and I'm willing to come on and and talk. You know, I think each one of these things that we touched on today, you know, I could talk for hours on. So, um, you know, I'd love to come back at any time and really do deep dives into, you know, some of these um, sustainable practices. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Bluegrass Podcast. If you'd like to check out more episodes, you can do so at bluegrasscannabis.com. If you'd like to stay up to date with news, merch, and more, make sure to follow us on Instagram at bluegrass underscore cannabis, TikTok at bluegrass cannabis, Twitter at bluegrass canna. Thank you so much for listening and stay safe. The Bluegrass Podcast. Old-fashioned all natural 
Kentucky Bluegrass.